My Life as a Celebrity Lookalike is the real life telling of Stephen Sims' journey of looking like Jonah Hill from 2007 to 2010. This podcast has been created to share the unique story of looking like a celebrity lookalike. In no way has this podcast been created to disparage, humiliate, or destroy Jonah Hill. Hello and hey now, this is Steven Sims and welcome to My Life as a Celebrity Lookalike. I am here with co-host Josh Larkin. Josh, how are you today, sir? I am doing very well. I am very excited for the guest we have on the episode today, as well as to hear kind of the continuation of where we've left off. Yeah, we actually have a guest today. We didn't have a guest last week. Uh, we're into episode six of this amazing story of what it was like looking like Jonah Hill from 2007 to 2010. And right now we're actually uh, we're right around October 2008, which you're probably wondering, well, you're into episode six and you're already you're, you're only like a year in. But yeah, a lot happened in those first five episodes. But um. You know, a little recap on where we left off, Josh, If it, just to, to bring you up to speed is, uh, you know, I did a movie called Destroying Jonah Hill, an independent short film slash movie trailer. And that led to me getting hired as a stand in on the Judd Apatow film Funny People. And last episode, we spoke about my experience, I guess, auditioning for Judd Apatow and Janusz Kaminski and running into Adam Sandler uh, not running into Jonah, but obviously I did meet him a year earlier when we were doing Destroying Jonah Hill. So kind of where we are right now is this is my first day on set of Funny People. And I'll tell you what, Josh, before I even go into anything, I've been working in production for close to 20 years. I've worked everything from a stand-in, obviously, to a production assistant to, I mean, I've done everything but like the accounting department and craft services, pretty much. You know, I, I've, I'm a producer now. Uh, I've been in front of the camera, behind the camera. I have never seen anything like the set of funny people. I think you've spent enough time at craft services that you could still pretend that you worked craft services. But funny people set was like pinnacle of funny people. That was like who was in the movie were all the funny people. Well, it's funny, Josh, you crack that joke about the craft service table, but that is actually my what I want to talk about. It's not really the people. I mean, Adam Sandler, great. Uh, Aziz Asari, great. Seth Rogen, great. Uh, Apatow, great. But the craft services on the Sony lot of funny people were so great. And it's funny because on my notes, that's like the first bullet. It says Sony lot slash craft services. And I just want you to know that as someone who's produced a lot of unscripted television and a lot of digital content, you know, our craft service budget is like a case of water, a couple, you know, bags of chips, maybe some Nutri-Grain bars, you know, a kind bar or two, maybe a banana. That's it. On a studio picture, you have all that stuff times a million. And then you have like a whole nother like, you have that, you have just like tables of candy and snacks and chips and drinks and everything. And then on the other side of the the, the lot or or the sound stage, there's a guy making grilled cheese sandwiches or quesadillas or 
whatever you can think of, but they're feeding you constantly. And it's just so different for anyone who's worked in unscripted or low budget indie films, I'm sure, you know, the world that I come from. So like the biggest thing I take from my experience on Funny People was the craft services. See, my initial thought is that it could have also been enhanced for that production because like Seth Rogen is there. We all know marijuana intake is prevalent in Seth Rogen's system. So maybe they boosted it up a little bit and they're like bringing an extra tamale guy. That's actually I never thought about that. Yeah, you're very right. Yeah, they could have. I mean, I think it's ultimately, you know, along those lines, you have like this, the, like the Snoop Dogg of comedy the on set, you know, wants munchies. But I think it's really just to keep your keeping everyone happy. I mean, if there's food around, people are happy. I think one thing with having that much food around is you've got not only got that many famous people, but with those famous people comes their additional crew. I'm sure Sandman's got an extra assistant aside from just what production's providing. And people are going to come and visit set in that kind of, you know, atmosphere. So you just stock as much food as you can. And I don't know what happens to that at the end of the day. Like on a real production, what do they do with all that stuff? You weren't taking it home. No, I didn't take it home because I wasn't invited back. And we'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> but it's <laughs> before we get to this, I, I actually just want to touch on something that I totally forgot to put in the notes. You, you're correct. People do have, you know, you would say their entourage or their friends stopping by. But fun story, I, I just want to tell real quick. You know, I said in episode five how I met Sandler at my audition and we kind of had a little back and forth and it was really cool. Well, on day two, you know, I'm skipping ahead for a second. I did meet Sandler again on set and he was with Rob Schneider and Sandler from a distance like said, hey, buddy, how's it going? And just kept walking. And Schneider, you think, would give like a nod or like, a, oh, hey, you know, Adam just acknowledged this guy. No, Schneider was such a cold, hard dick, uh, you know, and whatever. I'm sure he was just having a day, but that was just a little side note. But back to your question, I, I don't know what they do with all the craft service leftovers. I mean, I worked on I was a, a producer on uh, the digital team for American Ninja Warrior back in 2016. And, you know, we were on the road a lot traveling to different cities. And that was a pretty big that was also a fairly large craft service setup. They didn't have the tamale uh, quesadilla guy in the corner making food. Was it just like whey protein powder and like Dasani's? No, it was just like LaCroix and Gatorades and chips. And again, just like any type of snack you can think of they had. But again, the one that tops it all will forever be funny people. I mean, it was just like I could have like because you're fed breakfast, you're fed lunch. You're there for dinner. You're fed that. And then they have the snacks in between, which is like the fucking tamales. And you've got, you know, probably a whole kitchen staff because not only, you know, are they prepping that food, but like there's a serving line where you can go through and eat dinner and stuff like that. That I've actually experienced. But like food on productions is incredible. But I'm glad that this was like way over the top and that you got to take it in for two days. Yeah, I don't think you make a movie with Judd Apatow, Adam Sandler, Seth Rogen, and Janusz Kaminski as the DP and have crappy catering. It was great, though. I mean, you know, it was fun because I remember thinking, like, the scale of it was so intense. Like, you know, we were in one soundstage, and then you had to go to another soundstage where just, like, the, the wardrobe was. And then another soundstage was catering. It was just like, it's like they took over more than just a soundstage. It's like they took over, like, a quarter of the lot. It was crazy. Now, in your time there, was there any like particular 
food, like one item that stood out above the rest on like the whole banquet? Honestly, I don't eat on set at all. Like as much as I'm talking about how great it was, I didn't experience it. And it's usually because even to this day, I'm I'm nervous a lot of the times. Uh, I mean, now as a as a producer, um, you know, before the pandemic, when I was traveling a lot for work, I would get very nervous and just wouldn't eat most of the time. Then I probably was very nervous or just excited, maybe because because there was nothing that stands out. I just remember like the, the quesadilla makers or tamales or tacos. There was some type of Mexican cuisine being made like around the corner constantly. <laughs> but I wasn't like picking out. However, the other stand-ins that I was there with, um, Seth Rogen's stand-in, Aziz Asari's stand-in was there that day. Uh, Sandler's stand-in was there that day, but he has his own little like thing going on. He's the Sandman of, of uh, stand-ins. And, uh, you know, they were enjoying the snacks. Uh, and it's funny because you just like look over to like the craft service table and there's like a bunch of people that look like people in the movie eating all the snacks. See, that I could get down with. Like, I am also a nervous individual. So when my nerves kick in, like I cannot eat, you know, and then like all of a sudden I'm starving to death, like after something would wrap or my nerves are not. But like I can understand that where you're just like. It's a bizarro, surreal thing where you can't even like participate in it because it's such a thing to wrap your mind around where you've got these carbon copies, but a little bit off, you know, smudged on the edges, kind of. And it's your first this is your first step into that world. And it's well over the top with like, you know, marquee names. So it wasn't like your intro was that bag of chip, you know, and, and water bottle kind of intro. You went right in through like Wonka's front gate. Yeah. And it's interesting because my experience in production mainly is television uh, and digital content. Uh, I have done movies as an actor, but not as a producer yet. And so, yeah, getting that experience was you know, it was like I skipped to the front of the line. You know, it was like one day I was uh, an assistant at a reality TV production company. And then the next day I was sitting next to Sandler's stand in eating tacos, you know, it was just, or not eating tacos, I guess, in this situation. But um, it, it was just also a lot going on. It's like, you know, I had to drive to the Sony lot. And uh, at the time I was living in Culver City. So that's not a very far drive. You have to park. You know, there's all these instructions you follow. And then you get there. And when I got there, I mean, you're immediately, you know, again, my experience at that time was like from being a PA on some of these bigger productions. And, you know, I wasn't a PA. I was a stand in. I was Jonah Hill stand in. So I was like, again, shuffled to the front of the line. And we immediately meet the assistant directors. And they're all like, they're wigging out because I look just like the guy. I mean, a year earlier, we made a parody film called Destroying Jonah Hill where I looked just like him. I was easily able to look like him. So, Jonah was there. Um, you know, this is where things get like blurry because it's like, I, I, you know, when it all was done, I started writing stories and comedy bits about what the experience was. And I don't know what's true and what's not true, but I do know this part's true. I remember being, you know, in, in Funny People, you've seen the movie, right, Josh? I, I, as mentioned numerous times, I have attempted falling asleep. So I've pieced together the majority of it. Uh, YouTube has been a, a quality friend uh, to pick up in just those little movie clips, you know, 12 of 14. I'm like, oh, here we go. So I've, I've pieced it together. 
do you remember enough to where like they're there's they're comedians seth rogan's a struggling comedian adam sandler's a successful comedian and they're doing a performance at a place called the comedy and magic club and those were the scenes we were shooting when seth rogan's character jonah hill's character aziz asari's character they were all doing their stand-up pieces and then Adam Sandler's character, George Simmons, shows up. Simmons. George Simmons. George Simmons, yeah. George Simmons shows up, and they're like, holy shit, Simmons is here. And it's like if Sandler really showed up at a comedy club and you were a struggling comedian. And so we're all on set, and we meet the first AD, the second AD, and Jonah's there. And, you know, my first thought is, okay, uh, you know, I met Jonah uh, uh, probably uh, almost a year ago to the day. Uh when we met at the comedy talk after destroying Jonah Hill, he messaged me and my guys, my team. And uh, so I was like, oh, Jonah's going to remember me. So, you know, I kept trying to find this opportunity to go up and like, just like, hey, hey, Jonah, great to work with you again, blah, blah, blah. Again? <laughs> yeah. We'll be, or meet you again, I guess. And, you know, hey, Jonah, great to meet you. Great to see you again. Looking forward to working with you. But I couldn't stop staring at him. And I don't know if it's because I was like starstruck or just like spent a year of my life working on a short film that I was trying to get to be in or just like taking the fact that like, you know, Roach, who was on the podcast, said it best once. He said, if if anything, it was like you made a short film destroying Jonah Hill and you won a contest and you got to spend two days on the set of funny people. Think of it like that. And that's really what ended up happening, kind of. So, like, I guess I was a little just taken back by it all. There's Seth Rogen. There's Judd Apatow. There's Jonah Hill. And I'm watching Jonah and he goes up to Seth and he's trying to get Seth's attention, probably just like how I'm trying to get Jonah's attention by staring, (laughs) but just like trying to like be like, like, you know how like you're like someone's like you're trying to get like a hey, man, how's it going? You know, like you can give a head nod. Yeah, like a head nod or a quick handshake or something. Yeah. Well, Jonah and Seth connected and then Jonah put his hand out and Seth just blew him off, but not in a jerk way. It was totally in a like, I didn't see your hand. You can miss the social cue. Like a handshake has like maybe a three to five second window max. And if you come in that like late or awkward, it's really easy for somebody to miss it. Yeah. And it was just like, you know, I also took it as like Jonah's like not acknowledging me who's trying to give him eye contact and he obviously knows what my role is in this production but then he finally gets eye contact with seth i think jonah's expecting it to be like a real buddy buddy thing Seth into something else and kind of goes there then immediately after that the background pa the background production assistant introduces jonah to me this time i say jonah great to see you again if you remember we met last year at the comedy talk i did destroy jonah hill blah 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 and he goes, oh, yeah. And that was it. And at that point, I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, is this guy, like, mad at me? Like, what is wrong with him? It may not be a negative, oh, yeah, but it's not a positive, oh, yeah. I mean, to this day, I always think, like, oh, what was his deal? But it really is, like... He's probably just like, why the fuck is this guy in my life again? The guy who wanted to destroy me, which, again, never wanted to destroy him. Title of a short movie. Um, so, and at that point, too, the assistant directors were all like, oh, we love you. You're great. You look just like him. And then costume or when wardrobe department comes over and they're putting me in the same outfit as him. And they were like seriously mistaking me for him. Like they'd see the back of my head and be like, Jonah, can we have, oh, 
oh sorry my man and like i was just like so it was just like a lot of attention on me (laughs) but literally my day with him started with oh yeah (laughs) but i think it's it, it is like he was like the prom queen you know like he was like the pretty girl at school and then, like, all of a sudden, there's somebody else who, you know, is kind of into the same things, has the same looks. And you're like, wait a second. Like, are you challenging my status as prom queen a little bit? Yeah, I think you're exactly right. I mean, that's kind of what else I, I always chalked it up to when it was all said and done was that I was let go from this production because he was threatened by me. Or that's what I was told by friends and colleagues and peers and family. So I wouldn't blow my brains out. But before we get to that, let's get let's get back to day one. Uh, so I meet Jonah, and then I meet the rest of the stand-ins. And let me try to remember who's there. So there's a guy named Chris. He was Seth Rogen's stand-in. I don't want to say the googly-eyed Seth Rogen, but like, you, do you ever watch uh, Everybody Loves Raymond? And he has like the cousin yeah. that kind of looks like him, but doesn't really look like him. Yeah, we had another guy who was, you know, was again everyone on set that day was. Seth Rogen, Jonah Hill, Aziz Asari, Riza, Adam Sandler. And those probably would have been the only five that would have had stand-ins. Um, Sandler's stand-in, <laughs> I want to say his name was Andy, but I could be totally wrong, wasn't there till like later. It was like if all the stand-ins had to show up early in the morning just to be there and be ready, he had like carte blanche to show up six hours later. But Sandler's stand-in also, like, had his own, like, area where he hung out, like, where the rest of us stand-ins, like, would sit together, like, on folding chairs. He had, like, a nice camping chair and would, like, keep his distance. And, and- <laughs> he still has a shitty chair, but it's a, slightly, it's a slightly upgraded shitty chair. But in the world of, like, entertainment in Hollywood, I guess, like, the rest of us, you know, Riza wasn't. Uh, a lead in the film. Aziz Asari wasn't a lead in the film. Uh, Seth Rogen was, and Jonah Hill was. So I feel like Sandler's stand-in, Seth's stand-in, and myself were like the ones that had like a career could have came out of it. You know, we looked so much like them. You're the and, lead stand-ins that could spin something off of it. Yeah, yeah. And Sandler's stand-in did have that because I remember him like when he finally met me, and he was like, "Wow, you really look like him." Sandler Stanton, who I think's name was Andy, was, you know how much research I do for this show, Josh. Yeah. Uh, he he just was like kind of like telling me how much I can make a career out of this. And me being googly-eyed Sims, the Jonah Hill Stanton was like, well, shit, who needs a career as like a producer when I can just be a Stanton the rest of my life? So like dollar signs were flashing, you know, things were happening. Tamales were being made. Right. You don't have to bother, no learning lines, no, you know, like longer hours. Just show up, get your light in and get out and hit some craft services. That's all you need. And I'm glad you say that because that's another reason why the ADs liked me so much because I was used to being a production assistant and I was one of the best production assistants because I was always there on time, willing to do stuff, willing to learn. So when I was a stand in, it was the same way. Like I would leave lunch early just to go sit. I'd be like 10 minutes early to where I'd have to be. And like the guys got to start lighting me early and they'd be like, you're always on time. We never have to look for you. You know, it, it just was like, I, I understood production and I cared about it. Yeah. So it's, it's working well so far. You're doing well. 
day one was good. It was really good. And again, I wish I had more memory of it. And maybe when we get Eric uh, on here in a little bit after the commercial break, he'll bring up some memories, and jog my memory a bit like past guests have, of course, and see what I'm totally wrong about. Um, <laughs> but day two was even cooler because at that point, everyone knows me. Your Your first day jitters are gone. You know, occasionally I'd walk by Jonah if he was on like set before he was in his trailer and I'd be like, hey, man, what's up? And it was just usually like a like he looks down at the ground like it was he never could really he wanted nothing to do with me. He he probably wasn't allowed to talk to you. Like if Jonah had seen Seth talking to you, like I imagine there may have been like some, some spat. Well, Seth, yeah, I remember exchanging Seth wears a. It's a Superman shirt with the Star of David. And I remember telling him I thought the shirt was cool, which is such a douche line to say. Because it's like, it's not his shirt. It's a wardrobe shirt. And he's like, thanks, man. <laughs> you know, like, so like I had some interaction with him. And again, everyone thought I really looked like Jonah. So that was kind of a fun little bit. And. But I, I think Jonah just was like freaked the fuck out. And again, I think, yeah, from that standpoint, it may have just been like, because of how much you look alike and all the accolades that you're getting, I can understand being taken back by like if 97 percent of you showed up at your door, you know, and was like, hey, I'm, I'm ready to film, you know, I'm here to do the podcast. You know, a guy that was like 97 percent your voice ready to record. It's a little just weird to engage with some alternate version of yourself. You're exactly right. And you got to keep in mind everything that happened a year earlier with him finding the destroying Jonah Hill MySpace, us seeing him a couple days later. Like it just is a lot of a lot of weird shit that to me looks like the universe aligning stars, but to him was more like, get this motherfucker out of my life. And plus you know that he wrote you a weird, aggressive message at 3 a.m. You know, like Nobody else on production knows that he did that to you other than the two of you. So there'll always be that little secret. You know, it's not like you're running up to Seth being like, hey, look at this weird message your boy sent me at 3 a.m., you know? Yeah, good point. So day two was, you know, kind of on top of the world. Like I said earlier in the podcast, Sandler was there. I was actually on my my mark on this on the stage where they were where Jonas character Leo was going to be doing some comedy. I was there. They were prepping for that. And Sandler came in. He was talking to the ADs. I remember him asking like, hey, uh, you know, how much time do I got? They're like, oh, you got a couple hours. But at some point before Sandler left, I got to see him play George Simmons, the character he plays in the film. And I got to see the scene where he has like his nervous breakdown on stage. And it was really cool. And I have in the notes here that I literally left that day on top of the world because it was here I was, a kid from Greensburg, Pennsylvania, that just wanted to work in the movie industry, the TV industry. And now I was on a set with like all of like idols and like heroes and mentors and people I looked up to. It was such an incredible feeling. And then it all came crashing down. Yeah, you really like kind of got like a make-a-wish trip. Like you got like a dream, like to like, okay, come to set, we'll show you around, we'll let you feel like a celebrity but it's not gonna last you're not here this whole production it was also like i was scheduled to like it was like those two days on the sony lot 
Then it was like maybe like off for a couple days and then like three weeks of work because Jonah's in the movie enough where it was a lot of days that I had. So I, I, I have the email here, but I didn't get an email. So I must have got a phone call. So I, I worked on Funny People October 22nd, 2008. It was a Wednesday. Then I worked on Funny People October 23rd, 2008. That was a Thursday. And then on Friday morning, the only thing I can remember and figure out from this emails, these emails that I put together is that I received a phone call saying that I would not be needed anymore. So I immediately called our um, Wendy Washbrook from Central Casting, who we talked about on the last episode. And she didn't call me back, but she emailed me, which at this point in my career as a person who's been on the management side and I've produced a lot of contact and I've worked with a lot of talent and I've had to let a lot of people go. If you don't want to tell someone the truth or if you know the truth and you want to avoid like spilling the truth or just kind of just get them out of it, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like you don't make a phone call. So like I called her to be like, what the fuck's going on? Why did I just get let go from funny people when I'm supposed to work for another month? And instead of her calling me back, she emails me this. This is on October 24th, 2008. Hey, Steve, I just found this out. So I wanted to let you know ASP. <laughs> the 80s said you did a fabulous job as a stand-in, but they won't be needing you anymore on the project for now. Things have changed as most movies do. So don't go quitting your day job and don't take it personal. It's just how it goes sometimes. However, you now have two SAG vouchers under your belt. And due to your dedication and great job, you are looking to join SAG and need that third voucher. Let me know and I'll keep a lookout for you. Otherwise, feel free to check in with me time to time if you're looking for extra work. Here's my line. Take care and thanks again. Wendy. Now, she really did the clean cut. Like, here is uh, a silver lining. Here is a positive takeaway. Um, it's not you. It's them. Here's my number. Talk to you later. Absolutely. And it's funny because I, you know, at this point in my career, again, older, and like Allison said in episode one, you're wiser. <laughs> I would have just been like, okay, that's it. She didn't want to call me back. I know what's going on. I responded to her and said, hi, Wendy. Could you contact me as soon as you have a chance? I just wanted to talk with you further. Thanks. Like, who the hell do I think I am? You are very like, that's a very scorned ex-lover. Like, uh, please pick up the phone. Like, we just need to just, babe, please give me two minutes. Just like, is are, are you in love with somebody else? Like, it it does come across a little, you got a little swag in that. Well, it, she responds. Instead of ignoring it, she responds, which maybe it was a mistake on her part. But she goes, hey, Steve, crazy busy today. I will try to call you on Monday. But if you're inquiring about why they don't need you, they didn't tell me, unfortunately. The AD said it had nothing to do with you because you were awesome. Thanks so much for making us look good. Take care. <laughs> and then instead of walking away, I write back one more email. <laughs> I say, hi, Wendy. Thanks for emailing me back. I am truly disappointed about this, but I guess that's the biz. I certainly hope it had nothing to do with Jonah being threatened or anything. I know our looks are very similar, but I never had any intentions on making him feel uncomfortable. 
I really enjoyed working with everyone. And even though I have a feeling I won't be asked to work as his stand-in again, I hope I was able to leave on good terms. Thank you again for all your help and kindness. Even though it was only two days, it was a wonderful experience. If you have a moment on Monday to call me, I would really appreciate it. I just want to touch base on a couple things involving SAG. Thanks again and have a nice weekend. That was written from a 24, 25-year-old kid who was just completely heartbroken and Hollywood smashed him in the face for the first time. That was very, uh, it almost hard to hear like the, you can hear the anguish in your response. Like, well, I'm th- and you probably gave her more of a reason than the ADs did when you mentioned, you know, a little bit about the interaction with Jonah, that was probably her only inclination of what actually had occurred on set. Like everything that we've been going back and, and reading and revisiting from 13 years ago, it makes me cringe. I mean, it's like sending the Destroying Jonah Hill DVDs to Sundance. Like, why? Like, this lady's just trying to do her job. Like, leave her alone. Like, she doesn't know. But again, I didn't know. I didn't know the process. I was so hung up with why there was tamales being made around the corner. You know, it just... I do want to get some insight in someone else's perspective of what might have been going on on the Funny People set. So when we get back, we're going to have our guest, Eric Tuscanegi. He's an actor from New York City who also worked as a stand-in on Funny People. All right, we're back at My Life as a Celebrity Lookalike. I'm Steven Sims. I'm here with Josh Larkin, and we got our very special guest. I hope I don't mess up his last name, Eric Tuskanuki. Eric, how are you? Did I get that right? How you doing, man? That's good. That's good. Thanks so much for joining <laughs> us, uh, Eric. I, you know, I guess to just let the viewers or the listeners know, I emailed you or I Facebook messaged you about two weeks ago, asking for you to be a part of this podcast, kind of out of the blue. Yeah. Our history is pretty simple. Uh, you're an actor and a performer. You've done some stand-in work. And we worked together in October of 2008 on the Judd Apatow film, Funny People. Do you remember that? Yes, I remember it quite well. <laughs> and the question I need to ask first, and Josh is excited about this, who were you the stand-in for? I want to see if I remember correctly. <sighs> Every brown person that was on movie. Are you serious? I'm serious. What? Because that because I, I thought it was just RZA, which would it, it was supposed to be yeah. just RZA. Oh my <laughs> well, two thousand eight. Uh, <laughs> oh my gosh, that is so terrible. <laughs> like And the other actors made comments about it. Um not um Aziz, but the other guy who who I'm his name is slipping from my my head right now. But um he made a comment about, you know, how they had just one stand in for all of them. That's right. Pr- Gosh, I mean, because I didn't, I was telling Josh, I was like, I'm pretty sure he was Riz's stand in. You were on the Sony lot with us. Do you remember like when I showed up? Because again, I guess, you know, because I was a little more pinpoint on who I was standing in for. You know, I was Jonah Hill stand in. And then it was, there was a little bit, I felt like there was like buzz of like, this guy looks really much like him. The other stand in that was with us that day, um, he was on the whole movie and he was making comments about that. That was, um, I, I, I couldn't make, I might be making up everyone's name, but that was Seth Rogen standing. I think his name was Chris. Yes. His name was Chris and he was standing for Seth Rogen, but he was with, yeah, he was with the production for the entire movie. And, um, he was making comments about that, 
about your resemblance to him and um, and uh, some nervous looks on Jonah's face sometime throughout the day um, while we were there at the studio. So, uh, <laughs> oh, really? It really was a case where there are there are nerves at play, and so I'm glad to know that well, it's substantiated. <laughs> well, you know, stand-ins don't really look like doppelgangers for the for the actors. They're not that close, but you are. You were at that time, at least. Um, so, yeah, yeah, there were some some whispers while you were not around. And well, I mean, and listen, it was one of those things too. I, you know, we talked about this. This is our sixth episode, and we've talked with different actors that I've worked with, both in a Jonah Hill capacity and not. And you know, I think you could probably agree with this. The one thing you say is, you know, when you're in your first year or two in LA or or New York or or just in the scene, you're very naive. And that was like my first year in Hollywood, and like yeah. I just remember being like proud to be there, proud that I made a short film about Jonah Hill, and then like I was trying to destroy him, even though it was a bit, and yeah. like that I was now his stand-in, and that could have been a part of the comedy that I was making a year earlier. But I never thought until even you know, recently and while we're doing this podcast and while Josh has brought it to my attention as an outsider that Jonah was just completely freaked out by it all. You know, I, I know that Chris was the other stand-in was, um, who knows how people react, you know, about, you know, things that are going on. You know, a lot of things are in our heads, but it seems like, yes, he was a little annoyed, not annoyed by it, but it made him uneasy. Un uneasy. Yeah. And I think it also was, you know, I mentioned to Josh before you came on that, you know, my my history and, you know, I wasn't I didn't didn't set out to be an actor. I just happened to be someone that, you know, was working in the industry and looked like Jonah Hill. Um, yeah. And it kind of led to some acting opportunities. And uh, yeah, I love performing. But I was so at the time so used to being like a production assistant. So like it was easy for me to just be prompt and on time. And I think that made yeah, the ADs but... really happy. And that also added to maybe the frustration yeah. of, because I, I remember like co the costume and wardrobe department, like mistaking me for him and like being like, what is this a joke? When we're new, I think we think about a lot of these things, whether we're going to piss somebody off or make somebody uneasy that we're, we're not going to get invited back to set. And then when we're not invited back to set, we think, oh, you know, this must've been the reason why. Um, in your case, it probably was <laughs> well, <laughs> because of you know some of the things I was hearing. But um, yeah, yeah, and that's what I couldn't. You know, again, I you know I don't know if you remember. I, I, you know what I was telling Josh was I was there day one on set on Sony on the Sony lot for the comedy scenes, then day two for the comedy scenes, and then I guess I was off day three because I received a phone call um, asking me that you know telling me that I was not needed anymore that I was wrapped. And you emailed me and I don't know if it was just because we were done doing scenes together or if you knew I was wrapped, but you just said it was nice meeting you. And I wrote back this whole sob story about how I was fired. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I actually just revisited that email because, you know, it's still in the history there. And so I was like, I was reading it. Um, yeah, you were gone. Though. I sent you an email because you just disappeared. Um, there was a there was another day of filming and you weren't there. And I was wondering, well, where is this guy? Um, you know, Jonas here was, was the other guy. Um, this was not the supermarket scenes. This was on still on Sony. And so that's why I emailed you. And then I got back this whole dissertation from you about, uh, <laughs> but you were, I, I, I think, I think you were right in the way you were feeling because I think there were, I mean, there was, there were whispers. Uh, so now Eric, did they, did they have somebody else to replace Steve on that? 
that third day or were they just like nothing is a better option than he was? No, there was somebody else. I was very, not very um, memorable. I don't remember who that person was. Um, I just remember that, that Steve wasn't there. Um, and then we moved on to the um, supermarket scenes, which he wasn't necessary for anyway, because Jonah wasn't in those scenes. So. I'm really glad that you were there that third day because that actually answers some questions that I was able to figure out six months after the, the let go, the firing, so to speak. Um, because I was at a bar in LA and I ran into the background PA and, and, uh, I don't remember her first name, but it just was, um, I was actually at a bar across the street from Sony called, um, karaoke bar called, I can't remember it, but it backstage, backstage, (laughs) of course. But I was, you know, funny enough, I'm at this bar, you know, I just lived over there. And I run into her, and the first thing she goes, "Oh my gosh, you were Jonah's stand-in that got like let go." <laughs> and she alluded to the fact that it was a, you know, she wouldn't know all the details, but she was a PA, but she knew enough. Did you say the word "let go"? Let go, fired. I always carry the word "fired" with me, but it was really much just like months later. She was on another production. It was just like I, I remember her saying that there was like a lot of commotion about it. And just from what you're saying, the fact that I got a call that morning and there was already someone else there to replace me, that's a lot to do in 12 hours. And for the casting team, I mean, but it it happens. That's that's casting's job. That's what they do. So, yeah. Yeah. So I just thought it was just interesting on like, to this day, we'll never know unless Jonah comes on this podcast and he probably doesn't care or remember. But like, what (laughs) did he just go in his trailer and was like, fuck this guy. I'm not like this guy keeps nodding to me saying hi to me. He's making movies about me. Like, what is the deal? You know, he, he might not even, he might not have been bothered or not, and not even known anything about this. Other people could have just been bothered about it. So who knows what it was? It could have been a distraction for him that he wasn't realizing that maybe Judd Apatow was realizing. I mean, you never know. Or distraction for the other actors. It could have been like we keep tapping the wrong guy on the shoulder and we're losing five minutes a day. And they're like, get rid of him. <laughs> Bring in somebody who looks less like him. We just need yeah. the lights. <laughs> we got Eric doing every goddamn brown person in the film. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, are you based in New York now, Eric? Yes, I moved here a few years ago. And uh, from what I hear, Jonah Hill's in New York full time. Do you, have you ever ran into him? <laughs> no. How, why would I? <laughs> But I'm glad we were able to bring you on for this. What have you been? Uh, what have you been up to? What have you been working on? Um, well, work just kind of started back up. Um, I've been doing. Um, I, I do a lot of extra work just to pay my bills, um, and then auditioning my my butt off. Um, but uh, you know, I'm getting a lot of extra work right now. I'm working on um, Pro- um, Prodigal Son as a detective, so I'm on that all the time, um, which is great because it's a paycheck. So. Now you lived in LA for a while, obviously, right? When we worked on Funny People. Yeah, I lived in. Um, I grew up in Orange County. So, what made you do the transition to New York? Well, um, I'm originally from New York. Um, I was born in Brooklyn. I have a lot of family here, and I thought it would be better audition wise if I, you know, lived in an area where auditions were just down the street and I could do several in a day instead of one or two a day. And and I was tired of the traffic too, so. Although subway traffic is just as worse. It's just as bad. So yeah. Well, that's great, man. I'm, you know, if I ever 
you know, if we ever get out of this pandemic and I make it back to um, New York City, we'll have to connect and have a cup of coffee or something. And yeah, it'd be nice. Yeah, it'd be great. I um, I really appreciate. You know, again, I don't want to take up too much of your time. I really just wanted to have on a a, a fellow funny people stand in. Uh, I really did not know that you were the stand-in for every brown person. That that is so ridiculous and so outrageous. That is outrageous. They they didn't hire two other people. They were that was, and I looked nothing like the other guys. And you said you were you were just supposed to be RZA to be stand-in yes. to start with. How did they? Yes. Was it just that first morning they were just like, "Hey, we got some extra stuff for you," or? No. It had to be planned. I mean, they know what they're doing each day. They know who's going to be there. And, uh, they just decided not to hire, you know, two other stand-ins. Yeah, and they can't put a breakdown that says we need a tall black guy to play three different black guys. Like, I mean, that's just it's no. just ridiculous. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Yeah. I, I and I'm actually glad you brought that up because it just shows how like and again, it's just like the whole me being replaced so fast. It's it's a constant wheel that's moving in this business yeah. and. It's all really about dollar signs, you know, and Josh, you mm-hmm. make the joke. Maybe they were tapping me on the shoulder and taking five minutes of the time. But maybe that's the reason why that I got let go, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Crazy. Well, Eric, do you have anything you want to plug or add before we wrap up for the episode? No, no. I'm just happy to be here. Happy to reconnect. So. Absolutely, man. I really appreciate you joining us and I really appreciate you. Uh, telling some of your stories. I know it's been 13, almost 14 years since we did this. Uh, so it's, it's a little crazy. Um, but I, I wish you all the best and uh, I hope you stay well, stay safe and stay performing, man. Stay performing. If you're ever in, same with you. And if you're ever back in LA, you know where to find me. No doubt. Absolutely. <laughs> Take care. Awesome. Thank you, Eric. Wow. That was really great. I'm, I'm really glad we reached out to Eric. Yeah. Eric had more notes uh, than I think uh, you did for this episode, um, which was great as he came in and kind of hit us with some other facts that I don't think we would have gotten anywhere else. I don't know that anybody knows what Eric does about how he was used in that production. Yeah. It was interesting to hear that he was used, you know, he's an, you know, person of color, and then he was used for every male person of color, which is so fucking ridiculous and just like insane. But I mean, it's just like he said, it's like they had a plan, but that's something I never would have known. And that's actually, you know, on top of it being completely racist and terrible, uh, you know, Eric was, is, is, was in the industry a little before me and we didn't touch on that, but like, you know, he kept saying like, Oh, we would hear rumblings, because I was probably also running around being like, yeah, I made this. I might have been passing out stickers for all we know. I mean, I don't think I went that far because I did know enough about the entertainment industry to know my role. But I mean, you already had done that. So you didn't have to do some of it on set. You had yeah. already done it to exactly. most of the people who were on set. But it was great having him on. And it was great to hear. Glad to hear that he actually was there. You know, and again, it's good to hear that, you know, although I wrote back this long dissertation of sob story of how I got fired and he was probably like, oh, this guy's a lunatic. I'll talk to him in 14 years uh, <laughs> on his podcast. Nerd. Yeah. So you see in the next two decades from now. But um, he the fact that he actually remembers me not being there and someone else being there is helps answer more questions to what happened. And just so the audience and our listeners know. It doesn't matter that I got fired or let go or released. 
because you're a work for hire in the entertainment industry. And you can leave at any time, and they can let you go at any time. And that's exactly what happened. And to this day, and to the day I die, unless we talk to Jonah Hill on this podcast or in some other capacity, and again, even that, I don't think we'll find out the truth of what really happened or what the hell went down the day I was let go. But who cares? Because like Roach said, I made a short film with a bunch of guys called Destroying Jonah Hill. And if anything, I got to win two days on set, like Josh said, as a make a wish. <laughs> Work with Apatow for two days and then get yeah, paid. And you, you, you put in a bid and it worked out for a little bit. And they said, you know what? Kid's a little creepy. Let's get somebody else in here. <laughs> it's okay to be the creepy kid. Well, uh, I think this was a great episode. And this wraps up our funny people stories. Uh, we got two episodes left, Josh. Yeah, this is uh, the back half of of this, the tale. So I'm glad that funny people now, this was the big, I think, kind of moment is you got hired and fired. This was your Hollywood spotlight. So now this is you walking into the sunset. Walking into the sunset and literally, literally telling myself in 2009, I will not do Jonah Hill stuff again. And that's where we'll leave you, folks, because on next week's episode, we're going to talk about a little movie called The 41-Year-Old Virgin, who knocked up Sarah Marshall and felt super bad about it. And guess who plays Jonah Hill in it? I was going to say, I think that movie's also called More Jonah Hill Stuff that you did. <laughs> More Jonah Hill Stuff. It doesn't stop here. Uh, I'm Steven Sims, along with Josh Larkin, and you can find us at mylifeasacelebritylookalike.com. Make sure to download, listen, like, love. We'll be back next week with episode seven of my life as a celebrity would like.